Oh my god, it's John Cena! <laughs> so you have seen The Suicide Squad. I have. As I. Yes. We both enjoyed it. Yes, it was it was fun. Fun, entertaining movie. I can't stop helping myself looking at this screen now as I talk. <laughs> a, yeah, we uh, went high tech in the studio, folks. Um, we've had this equipment literally the whole time. Just laying e- around. Even in the old setup, we had this equipment because we have this TV monitor, whatever it is, that I used to play the games on for a you know, new setup. It was just been sitting here this whole time. I was like, wait a minute. If I just put that HDMI cord into it, Spencer could see what I see on the computer. He could follow the articles. We won't have no more phone hissing. Yeah. Makes everything easier. We were going to talk about the Suicide Squad, but we weren't going to talk about this. It was something else we were going to talk about dealing with the Suicide Squad, wasn't it? Uh, you wanted me to tell my story. Oh, right. <laughs> I just wanted to, I wanted the folks to hear Spencer's anger about his movie-going experience because we don't get to go to the movies very often no. anymore. And there's a good chance that, like, Suicide Squad could be the last time you go to the theater. Like, that, yeah. could, that could happen. Like, whatever well, movie you see could be the last one in theaters. You know what? That was better than the last, last movie that I got to saw. What was that? The the uh, Bloodshot was, oh, the, was yeah. the last you one. You saw that in theater? We, well, yeah, before, like, that. I saw it right before everything originally went into lockdown. And then I saw Black Widow a couple weeks ago and, yeah. then, and then this. But I, there was a part of the story I even forgot to tell you that was that added on to the rage before I even oh. got to the theater. Okay. So you went to West Virginia, by the way. Yeah. So that's already a. Mm. Well, I mean, the trip to there and stuff's not that bad. So I, because I was going to West Virginia, I knew that I was gonna need gas somewhere on the point of going there and then coming back because I was gonna get my books afterward, my comic books and stuff like that. So I knew I was gonna have to get gas at some point in time. So I figured I'd get it here. You know, because I'm not exactly familiar where all the gas stations are down around that area, you know. That was, a, that was a foolish move on your part, Spencer, is gas is like 50 cents, or at least 50 cents cheaper. Oh, is it? It's like two eighty eight or something. Oh, okay. So you fucked up. Oh, uh, well. But go on, you went and got the gasoline. Uh, uh I lived right next to a, one of the big man, big main uh, get-go's yeah. gas station, but it's been torn down, so all the other local gas stations have just been overflown with, you know... The, the stuff, you know, the customers that they normally don't get. Right. So I had to go out to this gas station on the other side of town, which was which was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I went to go pull up, and I realized the thing, that the handle was broken. They had, like, the yellow bag on it. It was uh. out of order. But there was a car in front of me, and right before I was getting ready to pull in, an asshole in a truck... Just cut you off? No. They did the fucking... Oh, there's plenty of parking spaces, but I'm going to pull up to the sidewalk and just sit there and just park my car there. So, like, I couldn't go around, so I literally had to back out, go back on the street and circle around so I could get to another gas pump <laughs> that I could get that was on, like, that I could get on my side of the car. I was so fucking pissed. I was half tempted to go when I went into the into the gas station. Because it was, like, an old guy, too. Just like, yeah. hey, listen here, pops. That's not a fucking parking space. Then you realize his, his grandson's in the car and his grandson is Brock Lesnar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. But, you, but you know, you've seen that, but I have that, that small space in between the pumps and, and the, uh, and like the actual gas station in the small, yeah. like, oh, it just fucking pissed me off. I was so mad. So you went to West, West Virginia in a bad mood yeah. already. And then, but like the fine, the drive there was fun. There wasn't that much traffic or anything. So I get to the movie theater, I, uh. You know, I pay for my ticket and my slushie and my popcorn and stuff. And I actually timed it because the movie was like a like 
11.15, and I was walking into the theater at, like, 11.48, so it was, like, pretty good timing, you know? Yeah. Um, I get in there, nobody else is in the theater, so I get to go, and I... I Are you taking your pants off? Yeah, I got my pants off, you know, unbuckled, just ready to, you know, enjoy the movie. (laughs) I pick my, you know, pick the... Middle seat in the middle aisle, you know, perfect. And when I'm in the lobby, I see the only other people I already see in the in the lobby is this lady with her kid. There couldn't be any more like ten or twelve at the most. So I'm like, I'm good. They ain't coming to see Suicide Squad. Yeah, what are the odds they're gonna see a rated R superhero movie? <laughs> yeah, no. But as the trailer starts, they come they come walking in. I was like, oh, that's fine. There's still three of us. Um, and literally five hundred available seats. Yeah, yeah, whole theater worth. And then, so they slowly start walking up the steps, and I'm like, okay. Nearing you. Yeah, yeah it just, just... Closing in. It's just closing in, and then they get to the aisle right in front of me, and they stop. <laughs> for a good minute, minute and a half, just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. Which made me more mad. <laughs> they were like, hmm, should we put our big fucking heads in front of this guy? The, the, the easiest way for me to describe it is this. So I'm sitting in my seat. There's a seat in front of me. There's an empty seat. And then it's the two of them. <laughs> so basically right in front of me. <sighs> Even in non-COVID you know, COVID times of the social distancing and being away from people. And just in, in the before times, dick move. That's a dick move. That's a super dick move. But I did try not to upset my movie-going experience. <laughs> I just figured that I wasn't, if anything I thought was funny, that I wasn't going to try to, like, not, like, you know, try to, like, light laugh. No, I just full-heartedly laughed at what I thought was funny, at all the immature, gross things. I cheered at people getting their face blown, you know, and, and all Repeat that Repeat all the swears very yeah. loudly out, you know, so the kid can hear, that kind of thing. You know, there is a hierarchy of movie theaters. Whereas, if you get there first, obviously you get first seating. Yeah. I told you the AMCs, you have the, the electronic pick your seat, which yeah. is nice because it'll show you who's where. But in the hierarchy, you got your very middle where you sat. Yeah. Because, especially if you go to like a, um, what do they call those, the big super theaters? The IMAX? Yeah, like if you get like an IMAX, that's obviously the best yeah. seat. But even in a regular theater, that's usually the best seat is right in the middle. Second best Right in the middle, but all the way up top. Yeah, right underneath the projector. Yeah, under the projector. That's that's usually the good cranking spot yeah. because the light makes it like seem extra dark right mm-hmm. there. So if you're going to be a pervert or if you, you have, see everybody else. Yeah, or if you want to be one of those people that necking, if you want to be necking. Mm-hmm. That's what they used to do in the 50s, I hear. They went to driving then. But, uh, and then after that, I don't know. It just gets shitty, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Every other seat sucks. And like I said, it would be one thing if there was like... A smattering of people throughout the theater, but no, then, just you. Because then, 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 at that point, you're just I want the best seat or the seat you know that that I think that I'll enjoy the best watching the movie. That's almost like something that would happen to George Costanza. Yeah, like he'd be alone in the theater, and literally a guy with gigantic sideshow bob hair who's seven foot two would sit right in front of him. Yeah. And then, if you're the George Costanza type, you might just be too awkward to be like. I can't say anything. If I say anything, then I'll, I'll cause a scene. I'll just sit here and take it. And then you just feel bad about yourself. But, but I almost wanted to, like, I did kind of almost want to, like, just plop my feet over the over the, over the the seats. That's, uh, she took the your shoes of, off. Yeah, or something like that. And just be like, and just get, like, real hammy with it. Just like, oh, 
oh, oh, oh, like laughing at things, just fucking trying to ruin their experience. And if they try to do anything, but hey, this is on you guys. Too bad you didn't have terribly loud and smelly flatulence. Yeah. That the one time. The, the one, one time. time. I, oh, I said when you told me the story yesterday that you should have just started coughing. Just, blah, 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 just, just South Park noises. Well, my last movie going experience was a lot better. Um, the movie wasn't that great. It's how old. It's like a week or two ago. Oh, yeah? M. Night Shyamalan movie. Wasn't good? It was okay. I wouldn't watch it again. No. I wouldn't recommend anybody else watch it unless they well, got the time and just don't really care. Well, I mean, that's the kind of the thing with the the Shyamalan movies. It's like, and then that first time, you, you get the twist or whatever the twist then, yeah, is. Yeah, you know. Maybe one more time just to see if, like, as you watch it, you be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then see if you can catch anything or, or anything like that, bud. Nah, that's about it. But anyway, Suicide Squad, DPW approved. Just go see it. Fun movie. If you like lots of, pretty much if you like Deadpool, you'll like Suicide Squad. Yeah. But Big Shark Monster, which mm-hmm. is my favorite character. John Cena, num nums. I just want to whisper it into John Cena. Wait, I want to see how low we can get it. John Cena. Welcome to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the German Gooch Grinder Church. That sounds painful. <laughs> I would, I would, I think, yeah. You're, you're grinding some gooch. Yeah. I mean, you went from tickling taints to grinding gooches. Now yeah. you're getting a little more violent. Well, what I'm worried about is if I'm grinding German gooches, because mm. I feel like those gooches would be a lot harder. <laughs> A lot of saddle sores. Yeah. I mean, uh, just a lot the, of calluses from riding big steeds. And just, you know, just the weather and stuff. Yeah. Just be, you know. I have no idea what the weather's like in Germany. <laughs> and neither do you. I think cold in the yeah. mountains, but that's probably Switzerland. I'm ashamed to say that I just realized we should have opened, the, the cold open should have been a question. Oh, yeah? Dick York or Dick Sargent? Dick Sargent. Dick Sargent? Yeah, because, I mean, that's high, at least high ranking. <laughs> no, I was talking about the, the guys on uh, Bewitched. What about- was it Bewi- wasn't it Bewitched? It was, it was uh, Dick York and then got turned to Dick Sargent? Or was it I Dream of Genie? Might have been Genie. Yeah, I think Genie had a different... Double dicks. Yeah. What, are, what, what are you talking about? No, we're not talking about this. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Hungry Man Dinner. I just feel like Hungry Man Dinner should be a sponsor because I never see commercials for it. Yeah, and not need, for a while. No, yeah, they need they need a shout out. Klondike has more commercials than Hungry Man Dinner. Today we're talking about thirteen Pittsburgh authors you really should be reading this summer. I don't know why we never covered Pittsburgh authors. Seems like we should since we're in the area. Also, this was a uh, written in twenty nineteen by Jody DePerna. So, so considering how time has basically stopped, still very you know recent. Yeah, I feel like summer ended in 2019. Like, that was the last summer we really had. You know what? I'll just read this verbatim. As a literature writer and voracious weeder... I didn't bring it I got the cotton mouth. Now I can see the words that you mess up on now, too. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, with the new the new setup, you can see, like, why things are difficult for me. And then I can be like, Spencer, that word! And then you can be like, fuck! What? 
And then you can see the words I skip because I don't know. But I can... <laughs> Wait a minute. That happens too. As a literature writer and voracious reader, I'm often asked for good book suggestions. Here are 13. You know what? Fuck. We're not, I'm not reading that. Let's go right into the article. How about that? Number. These aren't numbered. Why wouldn't you number them? Maybe that's because if you numbered them, then it would make it seem like one's, one's better, better than, than the other. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, so the first one up, Stuart Onan, or is it Onan? Sounds like it's Irish, because it's yeah. got an O. Stuart Onan. Onan has penned a trilogy of related books around the same family. Emily Alone, 2011, was my introduction to Onan. This is the second book in the trilogy, a follow-up to Wish You Were Here. But you don't have to read them in order to enjoy them. Interesting. Onan so beautifully creates captivating prose through his examination of humdrum everyday routines. Oh, it sounds like a Mirakami. Yeah. That's a tall order when grappling with issues of widowhood and old age. But Emily alone is completely spellbinding. His third entry to the trilogy, just released this spring, Henry himself, is set ten years earlier and revolves around Emily's husband, Henry. It's right on top of my vacation pile of books to read. And again, this was written by... Jody DePerna, which I don't know if that's a man or a lady, so I will not assign a gender. I feel like you can't assign a gender anyway. Yeah. No, because you never yeah. know. You never know. There's I, I've been seeing more and more frequently a lot of they, thems. Yep. So, you never know what you're going to get. Don't insult people, Spencer. Don't assume their genders, or their pronouns, rather. Next up, Damon Young. One of the founders of the site Very Smart Brothers, Young is perhaps best known as a master of funny and cutting hot takes. But with his 2019 book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, a memoir and essay form, he examines the experience of becoming black in America, and in Pittsburgh specifically. Uh, before we go on, I just want to say, Pittsburgh's a pretty goddamn racist oh, city. Yeah. So I would actually be really interested to see what his take on that would be. Well, well like even just Pennsylvania is yeah. like, it was like right on the Mason-Dixie line. Like, you know what I mean? We were barely north. Yeah. Yeah, our area. But also, like, and a lot of people don't know this because I don't think everybody goes to visit Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is actually a pretty segregated city. You kind of have, like, the black half and the white half. Yeah. Uh, and then you do have, like, a mingling in the middle there, like the downtown area and Oakland and stuff. But there definitely is, like, segregation. I don't know if that was done purposefully or if that's just how things ended up. But there's also, like, a lot of gentrification that's been going on for, as far as I know. But I don't actually hang out in Pittsburgh very often. Uh, it's not my spot. Everything's too damn expensive. Anyway, back to Damon Young. He really allows himself room to breathe in this format, creating a gorgeous, genuine, sometimes harrowing journey into his American experience. Don't worry, he could still drop a hilarious pop culture reference like the best MC. Yeah, that was a white person who wrote this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Kathleen George. George is the author of 10 novels, all set in Pittsburgh, Except the Johnstown Girls from 2014 set nearby, which I would guess would be set in Johnstown, right? Yeah, makes sense. I don't think I've ever been to Johnstown. That's where school is, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe. I, what school is that? Is that Pitt? No, it's not Pitt. Not Pitt. Uh, Penn State? Where is it? Where is it? I don't know. I don't, I don't fucking go up that far. Uh, most recently, George published The Blues Walked In 2018, which uses Lena Horne's time living in the Hill District as its jumping off point. Lovers of mysteries and detective fiction should pick up her book, Taken, 2002, and then read through the Pittsburgh mysteries. They are engaging and propulsive, with great local landmarks sprinkled throughout. I'd be down for a mystery. That would be cool to read, like, a mystery book of places we've actually been yeah. to. Yeah. 
Like we could actually uh like you read a mystery set in Pittsburgh, we'd be like, Oh my god, I know what they're talking about yeah. versus like Sherlock Holmes or something where it's like, I don't know. Could be anywhere. Could be no, making it up. And nothing nothing against her, but like can you can you can you uh, put out a book called Taken without it just like Well that was two thousand two. Was that well, before the Taken I, movie? I don't know. I think it was. Maybe. But even still, so after the movie came up, like, oh, I gotta change the name of my book now. You can't change your postscript. Yeah, you do whatever you want. I guess. I mean, if it was published by an actual publisher, that'd probably be difficult. If anything, Take It should change its movie title mm. to Liam Horsecock Neeson. By the way, I did see a gif of Liam Neeson and when he's younger, running naked. It does, like, touch yeah. his toes. That was, <laughs> I might even sent that to you. If I didn't, I should have. No, like, didn't. That was just... It was just fucking... It's like, what is that, it a was baby sl- arm? It was slowing him down. It was dragging on the ground and slowing him down. It looked like it hurt. Like, it was slapping so hard. It's like, dude, why is your penis that large? Apparently, those, was he Scottish? He's Irish, right? Yeah, I think one of those. I don't know, but I just hear, you know, I don't want to talk about celebrity penises. Kind of do. But I don't. <laughs> not right We're now. not going to do that in the Pittsburgh episode. Uh, next up, Lori. Unless if it's Big Ben's penis. <laughs> Big Ben's penis. No, that's. That's a non-consensual penis. <laughs> He's been in trouble. I might pronounce I might pronounce this name wrong, so I apologize in advance. Lori Jaquilia? In 2015, Lori Jaquilia penned her third memoir, Belief is Its Own Kind of Truth, Maybe. Published, that's a big title. Yeah. Published by Atticus Books, it won the William Sorian International Prize for Writing. Then Atticus went out of business, and this book went out of print. Well, that sucks. Luckily for Pittsburgh readers, local publishing house Autumn House Press is re-releasing it this September. Can't wait till then? Help yourself to some of her... That's a weird place to put a split. Can't wait till then? Help yourself to some of her other titles, especially The Bridge to Take When Things Get Serious. Why is she like such long titles? Yeah. The Bridge to Take When Things Get Serious, 2013. Her memoir of taking care of her dying mother. And for the growing number of people who can identify with the scourge of the 21st century economy, the gig economy, pick up Portrait of the Artist as a Bingo Worker, her 2017 collection of very lived-in, captivating, funny essays about labor and the meaning of work. She definitely must have took inspiration from some early Poe or something, because these are some long titles. All her books are very long titled. I just, I'm just thinking of formatting and perspective. How would you fit that on the right. book cover? Like, that's like 10 words right there. Be lucky if you get it on the spine. Yeah. On the spine. You can read this one, Spencer. No. No, I won't. Um, I apologize again because I'm definitely messing this up. I think this, uh, this sounds like an Indian name to me. I do, I'm not good with Indian names. Uh, we are at Anjali Sanjava. Few short story collections are better better than Sanjava's All the Names They Use for God, 2019. Uh, are modern books all these long of titles, or am I just seeing things here? That's a long title, too. All the Names They Used for God. But that one's not too bad, because it's like, it, it's not a mouthful. Mm. Like, and to, to the previous writer, her kind of, her titles got to the point where it's like, and then I'm still talking. Like the Birds of Prey and the Emancipation yeah, of Harley Quinn. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> Shorten that up. <laughs> Just for the title. I mean, all right. Anyway, um, so all all the names they used for God was written in 2019, or published in 2019, rather. I always say written, but that's obviously the published date. The stories are all strange and challenging and a bit magical. Sacheva takes us from the late 1800s prairie to Pittsburgh in the early 20th century, 
to Chibok, Nigeria a few years ago to an American city at some point in the future. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. See, look at how big that title is on that book, though. All the names they use for God. Like, it, it takes may, up the whole book. But that just looks like an extra tall book. The cover's cool, but I just... I've I mean, always, like, imagine that in a paperback. I've always been of the belief that titles should be short normally. Just a couple words at most. Um, just be, I mean, because you got to think, like, it's on the spine, too. If you have a long title like that on the spine, it's going to be so small. It's going to be hard for people to just... If they were, yeah. like... Like if it was you know sitting spine out, yeah. what's the chances of a of a reader even noticing it at like a you know at a store or something? I always thought Stephen King was the master of having the short title. Yeah, Carrie, it, the stand, the longest one would be like the Dark Tower. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, he has some bigger ones. You know, uh, like the well, the Dead Zone. That's still like only two words. He might have bigger words, but usually. Short title. Well, no, the only ones that would get bigger is like whenever it's like the Dark Tower, or Volume Whatever, yeah. or Wizard in the Glass. Like you know what I mean? Like those are kind of, but those. But that was his homage, like fantasy. So yeah. fantasy titles are always large. Next up, we have Jan Marie Laskas. This one's on the side here. If there were a Mount Rushmore of nonfiction observers of life, Laskas would be on it. Oh, thanks oh, for burping while I read wow. that. This I tried is... to get off, Mike. Oh Jesus. J.N. Marie... La- you done? No, I'm making sure I won't. Oh. J.N. Marie Laskas is there. Fuck. I'm going to have to edit the fuck out of this episode. <laughs> J.N. Marie Laskas, if there were a Mount Rushmore of nonfiction observers of life, Laskas would be on it. Her prose is effortless. Her style is always curious rather than authoritative. She allows her subjects to reveal some authentic parts of themselves in a way that would be easy for another writer to miss. It's hard to read because it's in yeah. the corner there. Laskas is a true Roshi of... What does that mean? Mm. Masked Roshi? Yeah, oh God, no. <laughs> Laskas is a true Roshi of nonfiction writing. Pick up her recent book, To Obama with Love, Joy, Anger, and Hope. And that was in 2018. Good Lord, the title was... <laughs> Pittsburgh writers have the longest titles I've ever seen of any authors. They want you to make. They want to make sure that you absolutely know what the <laughs> book is about. Pick up her recent book, "To Obama with Love, Joy, Anger, and Hope," which details the life in the White House mailroom and the people who wrote to President Obama. If that's not your thing, scoop up her earlier collection of stories, "Hidden America," 2012. See, so that was a more succinct yeah. title there in which she brings to life an Ohio coal mine, an Alaskan oil rig, a Maine migrant labor camp, the air traffic controller tower at LaGuardia Airport, an Arizona gun shop, and the cab of a long-haul truck. I'm interested in the Maine migrant labor camp. I never heard of that one. Now we are on to John Edgar Wideman. Homewood native John Edgar Wyman has written novels, flash fiction, and nonfiction, and his work has been adapted for the theater. Weidman has also lived through more than his share of tragedy. Be patient. His prose is complex and sometimes cerebral. Usually means long-winded. Yeah. It can take some work to get through, but it's totally worth it to explore with him some of the most difficult aspects of race, family, loss, guilt, and trauma. His most recent is a collection of stories titled American Histories 2018. Along with that, pick up his searing memoir, Brothers and Keepers 1984. That's an older one. In his Homewood trilogy, Dimbala, Hiding Place, and Sent for You Yesterday. Do you ever, do you feel like you could do a memoir? Like, do you even think that you've done, been through anything enough to, like, could you do, like, 
Do you think anybody would buy, like, the buggy memoirs? Would anyone buy a memoir about our time as cart pushers at a Walmart? Yeah. Uh, yes, because we could definitely fluff that up to hilarious levels. Um, would it be popular? I don't know. I think, I would like to think so. We might have to do a little... Research? Uh, I thought, I try to forget a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. As far as my life, um... I think I have some topics I could touch on that would be interesting, but I don't think I would want to write about them. Now we have Yana Harvey. For those who prefer their stories told in graphic form, Spencer. Yeah. Yana Harvey is a co-author, and I always mess up his name. What is it? With Tiny Heeny Coates. Tiny Heeny Coates. That's how I, it's pronounced. I or Tanahasi Coates. I, something like that. I, I'm not good with it. That was um. Yeah, he was uh. One of our book club books we read was him, wasn't it? Did he do that like Egyptian one or? I don't, I don't think so. Cause he's just been doing like ever since he came to Marvel, he's been doing a lot of like Captain America and like I, Black I Panther could've, and stuff. I could have sworn we read one of his books, but anyway. So Yana Harvey is the co-author with Tanahini Coates and Roxanne Gay of several comics in the Marvel universe: Black Panther, World of Wakanda, twenty sixteen, and Black Panther and the Crew. We are the Streets, twenty seventeen. Harvey is also an accomplished poet. Her collection, Hemming the Water, 2013, is corporal and detailed. What does that mean, corporal? She used her watchful eye to examine intergenerational stories full of length and struggle. It's a second page, Spencer. Second page? It's been a while since we had to go to a second page. Uh, By the way, folks, um, I always forget to mention this early on. This website is nextpittsburgh.com. Local website, I guess. Nextpittsburgh.com. Oh, so that author, the one I was fucking up the name, Anjali Shandrava, is a pretty lady. Yeah. There's a picture. She was the headline picture of the article. Now we are on to Sherry Flick. The latest collection by Southsider, Sherry Flick, Thank Your Lucky Stars, 2018, is an assemblage of lonely people, broken people, wanderers, and seekers. There are moments of hopelessness and beauty, all of which are observed with compassion and economy. In addition to this new collection, Flick is the author of the novel Reconsidering Happiness, 2009, and the short story collection Whiskey, Etc., 2016. I might be down for the Whiskey, Etc. I mean, yeah, that seems like something to be down our alley. What's the Etc., though? More whiskey? Etc., Etc., Etc. More Etc.'s? Uh, now we have Jan Beatty. This is poetry, but never fear. Beatty is more rock and roll than staid sonnets. don't know what staid means. S-T-A-I-D never heard of it. not going to like it. Never going to use it. The director of Carlo University's Mad Woman in the Attic writing program tells stories of waitressing and addiction, road trips and adoption, homeless shelters, and Joni Mitchell. She's funny, sharp, and edgy. I don't know why they had the... <laughs> She's funny and sharp and edgy. Just How... feel like using commas. I don't know. She's funny and sharp and edgy. How can you not love a writer who titles a poem Dropping Blotter Acid at the Slag Dump? Pick up her most recent collection, Jackknife, from 2017. Uh, that's another very long title, but I actually like that title. Yeah. Dropping blotter acid at the... St- I would get the blotter out of there. I would just say dropping Dep- acid yeah. at the slag dump. If I was going with the title. This list seems longer than 13. Roy McHugh. Before Pittsburghers came to love hockey and before the Steelers were the calling card of the region, Pittsburghers loved boxing. The great Roy McHugh died at age 103 in February Jesus. of this year, in 2019, Rest in peace, Roy Mayhew. But luckily for us, a collection of his tremendous sports writing has been published posthumously. Go ahead, Spencer. 
posthumously. I never could say that word. Every time they have it at the Oscars, I try to repeat it to myself. It makes my mouth sticky. Has been published posthumously. Posthumously, it was published after he died. Simply titled <laughs> "When Pittsburgh Was a Fight Town," 2019. Nobody knew the fight game like Mahew, who wrote for the Pittsburgh Press for more than four decades. His prose was elegant and efficient, evocative and clean. He was one of the great sports writers in the pantheon, with the likes of Grantland Rice, Shirley Povich, and W.C. Hines. I wish my name was Grantland. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Is that what Grant is short for? Huh. If you want to understand boxing, or even if you just want to understand Pittsburgh, the book is a fantastic introduction. I might actually pick that up because yeah, I, you're a bit of a boxing fan. Yeah, I like boxing history a lot. Um, and I don't know shit about Pittsburgh local boxing, so that would be cool. And there are two writers with whom all Pittsburghers should be familiar. These two have both moved away, but continue to produce work as the writers emeritus of Pittsburgh. What does emeritus mean? Another word, this is a, a learned feller or lady who wrote this article. David McCullough? Sounds Irish. There's a lot of fucking Irish folk in Pittsburgh, I guess. David McCullough, for all the history dorks, one of the great American history writers, hails from Pittsburgh. You've all seen McCullough about a thousand and one times on various PBS history specials, and he has chronicled Teddy Roosevelt's childhood, the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, the Wright, bro the Wright Brothers, and the American Revolution. Some of his best fucking bullshit... <laughs> <laughs> Some of his best titles are his comprehensive biographies of Truman and John Adams. All right. Uh, the other night writer you should know is Annie Dillard. Dillard's breathtaking memoir of growing up in Point Breeze, an American childhood, 1987, is one of the best childhood memoirs of all time. That's saying something. Yeah. Not at all Pittsburgh biased because this person's from Pittsburgh and we're reading the article in Pittsburgh on Pittsburgh about Pittsburgh from a guy who's named Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh! Pittsburgh! Ginder! Kabasi! Though she has written both fiction and nonfiction, she is best known as a naturalist. In Pilgrim of Tinker Creek, she reveals her exquisite abilities to observe and interpret the world around her. Dillard's prose feels like waking up all over again, but in a world that is lusher and brighter and more colorful. If you want a quick primer on Dillard, pick up The Abundance 2016, a collection of selected essays from our decades of writing that the New York Times describes as a retrospective of her career. So four decades of writing in that uh, collection. Have we mentioned your favorite Pittsburgh author? No. I don't think I have one. Unless... Yeah. Um. No. No, there's there's none I could think of. So what do you think, Spencer? Anything tickle your fancy? I mean, they all seem pretty like, interesting. At least half of those were like nonfiction, though. Yeah, like that's what uh, those gonna be my uh, one of the things that I brought up. It didn't seem like a lot of fiction writing when it comes to the Pittsburgh writings. A lot of memoirs or writing about you know different yeah. historical things and stuff like that. I noticed people from Pittsburgh love history, sports and just the history of Pittsburgh and the history of Pittsburgh sports. Yeah. That's like the main things I ever get from uh Pittsburgh people. They just love their own area. Yeah, and I uh I mean, we're born about 30 minutes south of Pittsburgh, so we're not actually Pittsburghers, uh but we have a lot of Yinzers in the area. I don't say the word Yins. I don't like the word yin. You get upset by it. Because Mindy always says it, because her, her dad's from Carnegie, and he's he's a yinzer, so he's always saying yins and, and that, and this sounds stupid to people who from aren't from the area or are international li listeners. Like, what the fuck's a yins? 
Uh, that's what people around here. It's like a y'all. Y'all, but it's but it doesn't make sense. Y'all is you all. Yeah. That makes sense. Yins. What is that? You ins. Fucking jacks me right off. <laughs> no, it isn't a jerk. Uh, how how's the uh, Pittsburgh dad does it? Is it is it isn't it like jerks? Doesn't he say like jacks real weird? Something like that. Like I don't a, listen to that guy. I don't like that guy at all. That's another thing. I don't think Pittsburgh dad's funny. I hate Pittsburgh dad. Fucking jerk. Though there are a handful of uh, Pittsburgh things that have gotten into my vocabulary because I was born here. I don't say things are slippy. I say they're slippery or slick because that's what that's the thing. Like if it's icy out, they say it's slippy out. I don't say that. I never said it's slippy. No, but I do say jaggers instead of thorn bushes. I don't call them thorny yeah. or thorn bushes. I say jaggers. That's yeah. a thing that people are like, what the fuck's a jagger? Like Mick Jagger? <laughs> um, uh, chipped ham. That, uh, that's just general. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite words of all time is hoagie. And <laughs> I didn't know until I started traveling that you just ask for hoagies. I mean, most people will know what it is on the East Coast at least, but some places are like, what the fuck's a hoagie? Get the fuck out of you, degenerate. It's a sub or a grinder. And I'm like, a grinder <laughs> is an app for gay guys. I am not doing that at the moment. I, I mean, I want something in my mouth, but I want a fucking big sandwich. <laughs> well... <laughs> No hot dogs, sandwich. But that brings us to a good question. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, I think we've had this conversation before. Probably. Buggy. That's one that both of us use incorrectly. Because uh, where in the world would a shopping cart be called a buggy? Buggy's like a horse and buggy. Yeah. Like, But we also have those because we have Amish people. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. weird. You'd think that'd be confusing. Oh, get the buggy. And somebody comes up with a shopping cart. You'd like, punch them in the mouth. That's weird. No, what about if an Amish person uses a shopping cart? Then could they call it buggy? Yes. Yes, they can do whatever they want because they got cool beards. Their name's like Ezekiel and Ebediah and stuff. Is that it? Is that all our Pittsburgh slang? Uh, I'm sure we're missing something, but. Well, I know like both of us, we don't say because. We always say cuz. Yeah. I get that every time I edit the podcast, and I'm like, I'm going to start saying because, because I don't want to sound like a fucking idiot. In every episode, I just say because. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're stupid. Regional accents. But you know what? Scranton, I think, got voted the worst accent. Really? Yeah. I don't know how it beat Boston. Boston got voted the sexiest accent. I don't, I don't know who did this fucking poll this time. It was like some. It was trending like a couple months ago. I, I think. I didn't. I've never actually been over to Scranton, but I didn't know that they had like a. Is it just like a more like royal, like royal, like southern, like thing? Like what's their what's their accent sound like? I apparently just disgusting. They're just garbling and throwing up. No, if it's the worst accent. I know. I think it's just like uh, just kind of like a working class accent. But you said Boston got the most sexiest? Yeah, like Boston. Boston. In yeah. The, in the garden. Wicked awesome. Yeah, that got fucking. Pocket self, Kyle. You're just, you're just yelling. You're just yelling. That's, See, that's, what they, that's how they talk. <laughs> Give me a Reds wicked. <laughs> wicked awesome. Uh, New York accent, I think would be. I don't like New York accent. Coffee. Like, I, I just, I think it sounds like shit. But I think Pittsburgh accent is awful, too. I think it's an atrocious accent. Very few accents I actually like in America. I do not like the vocal fried Valley Girl accent. Oh. That you see, you know, the, the like, uh, Sheila, she was like all up in my shit like, uh, no, I don't like that. Those surfer guy accents cool. I like super white hipster Portland guy accent because <laughs> they sound like newscasters almost. <laughs> when I went to Maine, that's what freaked me out because they, they, like, they didn't have an accent. Like, and same with Colorado. It wasn't. 
that they didn't have an accent. It's just because I'm used to hearing like the Pittsburgh shit that it sounded like newscaster. Everyone sounded like a broadcaster, like they enunciated their words properly oh, and yeah. stuff. And I'm sure they actually do have an accent that other people would recognize, but I couldn't recognize it yeah. because I'm, you know, I'm used to fucking idiot talk. But at least we're not Southern. I shouldn't say that. I think we had a lot of Florida listeners lately. I'm always wondering how we get people in Florida to listen well, to us. And isn't that weird? Because, like, you got Florida, but, like, Florida doesn't really have, like, a lot of, like, I'm sure that there's people down there that have, like, the, the classic, like, Southern draw. Like, you know, especially when you get into the swampy areas. Oh, but, yeah. Like, but, like, not, like, you don't, you don't think, when you think of Florida, you don't think of that accent. Yeah. Like Alabama or something. Yeah. So, uh. Pittsburgh Authors. Check them out, folks, at that website that I closed out and can't tell you what it is now. Uh, Pittsburgh Now, wasn't it? Well, now Pittsburgh? One of those. Sounds about right. Just look up Pittsburgh Authors. First thing that came up when I looked it up. If you liked this episode, and I don't know why you would, (laughs) as many times as I fucked up reading that little article, uh, you can go yell at us on uh, Drunk Pen Writing on the old Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Ben Writing, and of course the website where we got some stories. Uh, and I will be announcing the Halloween submission period here soon because I want to j- get a jump start yeah. this year. So I'm thinking maybe next week. Think that sounds good. Better write it on the board. Um, or it will be forgotten. Yeah. So by the time this comes out, that announcement might be already made. We'll make another one on the podcast because we always get fucking bombarded with submissions and i've already had some people inquiring so yes we will be having our halloween submission again because that's the only thing i look forward to anymore <laughs> halloween time and i think that's just because a lot of the murder i like the murder story spencer <laughs> so thank you for listening and um we also got a lucrative offer from some media lady i don't i don't remember i showed you you didn't. You couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain it. Made it made no sense to me. But we got monetized per minute if we go through with that. So I'm sure that's legit. I'll uh, reach out to that lady who says she loves our podcast but didn't mention any episode, title, name, or anything else. Uh, so see you later, folks. And um, yin stay sexy.